Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified family. It is your girl, Monica Wisdom, and I am so excited that you're here with us today. We are continuing our series on Black women in the arts. And today we have Miss Alicia Reynolds. Alicia is a maverick in the music industry. She is an independent artist continuing to chart her own path. Her journey has taken her in many different directions from pursuing a second bachelor's degree from the legendary Belmont University to receiving her master's in music business from the University of Miami. She writes and produces her own music as well as performing it around the nation. In 2020, performers lost their stages and like the rest of the world, she was met with the great pivot. With her vast experiences and extensive education, Alicia landed at the iconic music publishing giant, BMG. Alicia has an incredible story and we are honored that she is here to share it with us. Please give a very warm welcome to Miss Alicia Reynolds. I am so excited you said yes to this invitation to the Black Women Amplified podcast, and I'm excited to talk to you. When Misha interviewed me for her podcast, she was so excited about you. I was like, well, who is this lady? (laughs) (laughs) I have to talk to her because if she brings out this much excitement in somebody, she was like, and she does this. She's helping me write my book, and she works for this record label, and she gets people money. I'm like, okay. Well, I don't know her, but I feel like I need to know her. So I said, well, hook us up. And she did, and you were here. And I'm so appreciative that you were here. Oh, thank you. You have a very interesting background. I feel like you should be 80, but you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like I should be like I'm talking to one of the elders. You've had a, a diverse background. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, man, that that's funny. Nobody ever said that to me. But um, yeah, so long story, trying to make it short. I am, like I said, from Adel, Georgia, very small rural town in South Georgia. It's like 30 minutes from Florida. Very much church girl, grew up in the church my whole life. I started uh, music very young as well, singing, playing piano. I became the minister of music at my church by like 11, 10 or 11. Not by choice, but because (laughs) I was a church girl. So you did what you were told. So did that and eventually, you know, began began exploring what that meant for me as as a, you know, young black girl in Georgia and wanting to be a musician, but also in the church, that was weird. But, um, Went on to school, excelled throughout school, got to college. My first college experience, because I have several, was at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. And despite my love for music and my 
desire to be a songwriter, I went to school to be a teacher, mm. uh, <laughs> an English teacher, mainly because that's what my mom was. So, uh, and, and several teachers are in my family. So it's kind of like a family thing. And I also didn't believe you can make money in music. So there was that taught within the education system have literally taught every grade or age from infants to adults. Oh, wow. And I only recently, well, let me back up. So taught for about 10 years straight teaching. And then I retired as a teacher, as a full-time, I retired as a full-time teacher at about five years, but then I kept teaching, like doing other like jobs in the education field. But I retired full-time to, I think retired, I should say resigned. Resigned. (laughs) I'm like, are you 80? Are you 80? I can't retire after five years. I retired in my spirit. My spirit was tired. Right. You hear me? Yes. After five years, that's it. it was done. I said, oh, no, I can't do this the rest of my life. But I left to pursue music full time because I thought that's what you should do. I had been, uh, you know, prophesied to and all these things about my journey as a musician. So I was just like, the Lord is calling me off this job. <laughs> with no plan whatsoever. But that, anyway, then I, I moved back in with my parents. I was like 27, 26, something like that when I moved back in with my parents to do music full time. And for what I was doing, I was actually doing fairly well in a time when CDs were still selling. Right. Um, I was building a name for myself. I was moving product. I was independent. But I was, let me tell you something. I was on the road, baby, all the time singing <laughs> five to seven. You know, I was out here because like in my head, I'm thinking this is what you got to do to, right. you know, to make it. Right. So did that for a minute in South Georgia, moved to Atlanta to further it because I was getting a little traction and I was like, I need to get up, you know, where some people can see me. So moved back to Atlanta because I was, like I said, I went to college there. Mm-hmm. But when I moved home, I came back to do music. And I don't know what shifted. A lot of stuff shifted. But after about five years of being in Atlanta, I decided I wanted to go back to school. Mm-hmm. But this time for music, what I should have went to school for the first time. But by this time, I'm pushing 30. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I decided at 30 to go back to school to pursue music. I was, I was trying to do it in Georgia, but the school that I was going wanted to go to in Georgia didn't have the degree I wanted. And somebody told me about this school in Nashville that had commercial music degrees. I didn't even know what that was, but I was like, oh, you can study songwriting? Let me go there. <laughs> right. So I, I enrolled here. I think I started Belmont when I was 33. It was my Jesus year. And went back to school full time, like on the campus. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Picked up everything. Did I had, I didn't even have anywhere to live. Like I literally drove, I, I did an album release. It was like January 2nd or something. I did an album release of a digital album release and put all my stuff in my car and drove to Nashville. And I lived with this uh, lady that somebody referred me to for like the first four months I was here. And I have been in Nashville ever since I finished my second bachelor's in uh, vocal performance with a, an emphasis in songwriting. And then during the pandemic, I got a master's in music business from University of Miami mm-hmm. online because we were in a pandemic, but I was surely about to go right on to Miami and live my best life down there. <laughs> <laughs> that was my plan, but you know, COVID said no. So yeah. And, and then I um, started working for a record 
label and publishing company last October. So I've been there ever since. Still, still in and out of artistry for myself, but more so on this industry side to see what I can do better as an artist, but also to get into a space that I can advocate for artists because especially black women specifically get railroaded in this industry and it's ridiculous and I can't believe it's still happening, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the short version. The short, <laughs> I told you you yeah. were 80. Like that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, to go back to a campus at 30 and live mm-hmm. like a 22 year old and be around a bunch of 18 year olds. That's a challenge in itself. Yeah. Let's swing back a little bit where you said you started your music in the church. I did. Where did your love for music come from? Were there other musicians in your family? I know. you. Oh yeah. My whole family is full of singers and self-taught musicians. I don't know that we have any formally trained ones, but like my whole, my mom's side of the family, like my brother's sing, both play instruments, cousins, all that stuff. My granddaddy was a singing preacher. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we have that. I think the love for music, though, I mean, I've always just loved music in general. My mom has this thing where she says, I I was singing before I was talking, Mm. which makes sense. And I talk a lot, but... (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I don't even notice how much I'm singing. Like people who've been around me will uh-huh. comment. And I'm like, you always singing something. It, I, it's so ingrained. <laughs> like I, I can't even, I don't realize that I'm doing it half the time. So right. I guess it just came out of the womb. I don't know. <laughs> so you were born with the gift. You just, and you know what? It's a beautiful thing that your mom saw that in you and she nurtured it. Yeah. Because she a lot did. of kids, she definitely did. it's like, oh, that's cute. But go get a real job. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's And that, you know what? That is that is so funny because I have that story like my mom tried to get me to go to school for music. I mean, mm. almost to the point of making me do it. Like nobody, I don't know anybody else's story where they were like, "Yeah, my mom always wanted me to be a musician." What? No, my I mean, she was if she could have had her way, I would have been a, you know, classical pianist mm. playing for a symphony somewhere. But I it was totally me. I was too scared and too, I didn't, I hadn't seen any successful musicians at a personal level. Right. So it just seemed very far away from me. And also the church thing, I thought if I didn't sing gospel music, then I couldn't do it. So, yeah. So in your music now, are you going to stay in the the gospel lane or are you going to go in other directions? It's not going to be gospel. I don't, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I don't really even know what my lane is as an artist, but I do know as a songwriter, Mm -hmm. I I can and will write anything because I'm a writer in general. You know, like that's, I think I'm a better writer than I am actually a singer or musician, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there's more, there's much more variety and, and diversity in building yourself as, as a writer versus just an artist. Because right. if I'm writing, I can write for Britney Spears or Darius McCray or like anybody, you know, they mm-hmm. don't have to know anything about me for me to write a song for you. you exactly. Know? Right. So you could be the next, you could be the next Diane Warren. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. I was just talking about her yesterday. Come on, Lord. Honey, Diane Warren is the girl. That. Yes, she's, she's that girl. I was just talking about her. You hear everybody. No, mm-hmm. she's like, she sits down and she writes her music. 
And you never know what I love about her songwriting, not to get too deep into this, is you never really know it's her because Mm-mm. she's so good for writing for that per- person as yeah. opposed to somebody like Babyface who writes great songs, but you know it's a Babyface song. You know it's a Babyface song, yeah. Yeah, so she, she's and, dynamic in her, the way that she writes, whatever that is. Maybe yeah. one day literally she'll, the goat, yeah. Yeah, maybe one day she'll give out her secrets. <laughs> so it's really that interesting <laughs> that you took the route of education, then you went into artistry, and then you went back into education. What yeah, was that, that was conversation crazy. in your head what was happening? Well, I feel like my personality, my very much overachiever, very much I have to complete something. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like to feel like I've been defeated. And I felt I felt like as far as going back to school for music, I felt like I that was something that I really wanted to do, but I let fear stop me from doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I ever would have had peace in my life. And I does one thing I always said is when I did get 80 or, you know, however old I'm going to get before I leave here, that I did not want to be sitting there going, I wish I would have done such and such. Mm-hmm. And so going back to school for music specifically, because I never just wanted to get a whole bunch of degrees. Like that was not my goal. But it, it was something that was always nagging at me. You know, like, what if you would have or you uh, and I part of me thought I just wasn't good enough. Like I thought you had to already be like this amazing prodigy level student to even major in music. Cause I knew there was an audition factor and all of this. And then I found out once I did, I was like, man, I ain't letting anybody. (laughs) Not anybody. You've done this a long time ago. You did not need all this. Like I was trying to come in knowing all scales and and knowing chord progressions and all of it, I, w- I mean, I wanted to be ready. Right. It's like, no, that's what you're going to school for. They're going to teach you that. Like, <laughs> girl. But isn't so. that isn't that the black girl syndrome? We got to get it right before we go learn that's how to get it right. It. <laughs> that is definitely, that's exactly what it was. Well, let me learn all of it. And then I'll go impress them and they'll let me in. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, now we have to unlearn and then reteach you. <laughs> yeah. We tend yeah. to make it make it hard for ourselves. So what was it like being at the legendary Belmont University? Because my aunt is she's retired now, but she was in music education. And mm-hmm. she we would have to at Christmas time we would have to watch the Belmont University choir. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very familiar, even though I'm not in music uh-huh. uh, for as a musician, but I was like, she went to Belmont? That's serious. So here's the thing, though, and I'm glad I didn't know about the legacy. I had no idea. And had I known, I probably would not have gone there because, again, (laughs) that fear would have stepped in. I'd be like, I'm not good enough, yada, yada. To me, it was just another school. It was a very expensive school. But I was like, this is like when I looked at their program, this is before I got there. When I looked at their program and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I need when I looked at the, the course lineup. And so that's what I was looking at. But then when I got there and I heard about and I you know, experience some of the amazing teachers and faculty and mm-hmm. just being around students who live, eat, sleep, breathe music. I was like, yo, this is very dope. It had its good, it's good and it's bad too though, because I also feel like for the like the reputation that it has, right. I think like a not not enough is done as far as recognizing black music there and the 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 contribution of African American people in music, especially mm. you're in Nashville. Like really? Hello. So, 
<laughs> yeah. So that part I had a problem with, but when I tell okay. you, I learned so much and it's so funny going back to school as an adult mm-hmm. and seeing like how valuable education is. Like I'm literally in class, like in theory class, like trying to soak up everything I possibly can. And I'm like, these kids have no idea. They have no idea, like the opportunity that this is to come and teach, uh, to learn under some, some of the most prolific teachers you're probably ever, musicians you're probably ever going to be like in contact with. Let's just be honest. Everybody who comes out of there does not make it big, but you know, like that opportunity in itself was once in a lifetime. And I would see them like rolling into class late and I'm like, oh, child, I cannot, you pay too much money (laughs) in school (laughs) and not get everything you possibly can out of it. So I cherished it. I was only there two, two and a half years because I already had a degree. So all I had to do was a music portion. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that alone, though, was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, too. Just because, you know, going back to school while you're working and being a whole full adult with real bills mm-hmm. is something totally different than just coming straight out of high school and doing it. But I loved it. I, I don't regret it. I don't. Um, when I look at my student loan payment, I I pray, but I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. And I wouldn't do anything different. Now, since you have seen all sides of this industry, or many mm-hmm. of the sides, um, have there have there excuse me have there ever been any moments where you said this music thing is just not for me? Yeah. Okay, every day, every Go day. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> every day, especially. I think that's why I am where I am right now, as far as being like working in copyright, because. The pandemic, when I tell you, as a, an artist who, or as a music professional, who probably 70% of my income, because I wasn't full, full time, because mm-hmm. I had just gotten to Nashville, so I hadn't, I hadn't built up a big enough fan base and, you know, network to be able to live completely off my music. But I was 70%, like I was a worship leader and I was gigging like every week, you know, and so that was my plan for life. And then when everything shut down and it wasn't just the shutdown that was staggering, but it was, it felt very, we, I felt as an entertainer and as a musician, I felt very disposable. Mm-hmm. And I felt like people did not care that, especially in a town where most of the commerce comes from music and entertainment. And mm-hmm. it was like, y'all got a whole population of people who have no jobs now. Right. And it was hot. Like we couldn't even get, I know people still right now who had to leave because they couldn't get unemployment. You know, that's so crazy to me that you have to have a job. You have to have a specific type of career or job in order to get unemployment, even though we all pay into the same system. Exactly. It should be available. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I remember those two and a half months I couldn't work. (laughs) It was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So that that in itself made me look at things a little differently and especially because of just where we are mm-hmm. and how we consume music now. Mm-hmm. Like it would be different if people were still buying CDs. Right. Like or anything like tangible like that. But mm-hmm. this streaming and if you're not 
already an artist who's not, even if you are signed to a, a record deal, because some of them got it worse than independent people, but mm-hmm. it's just hard to make a living from just doing music now. Yes. And as, unless you're willing to, I, I'm, let me change that. If you're not willing to be controlled, compromised, silenced, engineered, Mm-hmm. then it's hard to make money as a musician. If you're okay with that, maybe not so much. You're saying a whole lot without saying a whole lot. And I, yeah, <laughs> because, and I'll say it, you have to be willing to be pimped and, exactly. and yeah. to give up your heart, to give up your art, to give up your creativity, and then really just be a commodity to yeah. an industry that is no longer run by musicians. And so you're compromising everything about yourself. And yeah. when one does that, I see the young kids, you know, the my I'm Generation X, so my generation, they're still doing it. But I see how the young kids are like, I can't do this anymore because the, the compromises that they have to make. Yeah, and they, it's too you, great. And you go on with these bright eyes thinking, oh, my God, I'll be the next so-and-so. And it's like, nope, not yet. No. <laughs> so I said it for you. You didn't have to say it. Yeah, and, it, and the sad thing is, I thought it would be different because I was doing gospel. Mm. Not so much. Mm. Not so much at all. It, it might have been worse because there was that the amount of mental acrobatics I had to do mm-hmm. to just keep myself like feeling like what I was doing was worth something and that mm. I wasn't just a... Like you, I, I I get it as a what you call a secular artist to be treated like a commodity. But as a gospel artist, I was like, I thought this was about the good news. I thought that's what we're doing. Mm-mm, it's not, sweetheart. It's all a, it's all a business. Man. And I respect that. I respect that. But I just couldn't do it as an artist. So let's let's talk about this a little bit because you you talked about how you wanted to be an advocate for Black women in the industry. What are because I think that this goes across the board. It's not just music. It's all across the board where Black women work 10 times harder than everybody else to right. get a percentage. And people make so much money off of our Ooh, yeah. ingenuity mm-hmm. and innovation and our loyalty. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the mental acrobats can you walk you don't have to give me a scenario or names or anything like that but can you walk me through what goes through your head and what acrobats you're doing and then how you get out of it to keep going forward well for me when I was trying to do it well I'll say there's a couple as an artist for gospel it was hard for me to separate the fact that everybody who was singing what I was singing wasn't necessarily living the same thing Mm-hmm. So that became a real struggle for me because at the time, like I was hundred percent in, like I believed everything I was singing and was doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I would meet an, another artist and this is why I don't, I don't really like meeting artists anymore. Cause I have built up this idea of what I think they are in my head. And then when I meet them, it's something totally different most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I would see that and I'd be like, wait, like it was hard to, it's hard to, to to still want to be a part of something like that because, and then it's also hard to keep your integrity when you're around people like that all the time. Like I'm only so, you know, so many times you're going to see it before you start actually doing it too. And I was like, I do not want to be a hypocrite. That's one thing I cannot be. 
So as far as the gospel artist side, that was taxing. The mental acrobatics on just the whole industry and, and Black women, it bothers me all the time that you can look at a person like, I'll take K. Michelle, for example, and this is specific to her, her desire to want to sing country music now, right? Mm-hmm. An artist like K. Michelle is probably never going to get what she wants out of singing country music because if you're a Black woman in the music industry, you got one or two options. Mm-hmm. You can sexualize yourself completely <laughs> mm-hmm. or you can just be the broke down men ain't shit like this woman mm-hmm. but there's no like lane like you can never do like a switch like I'm going from R&B to country like Kay Michelle wants to do you can't have the trajectory of career like a Miley Cyrus you can't do all of that mm-hmm. and then land back on this you know pristine like once you have decided that you're gonna go the Lil' Kim route that's mm-hmm. that's who you always are gonna be right and it's like even though we are some of the most versatile and multifaceted people mm-hmm. when we get in the entertainment or music industry we are either slut or like struggle that's it unless you do gospel so there's three slut struggle or gospel <laughs> so <laughs> it's like i don't want to do any of those right why is that okay you right. know so constantly trying, but you want to do it. Like, I still love art. I still love music, but you almost have to say, you almost have to resign to yourself that either you're going to not desire to want the best possible career outcome. Like you don't want the Grammys. You don't want all of that stuff. You either have to say that to yourself and be okay with, uh, I'm only going to be able to do these one, two or three things, or you just have to be independent and just do music as a passion project. That's it. Well, it's interesting now because a lot of the mainstream artists are now independent artists. Yeah. Because the music industry has digressed (laughs) so much. I mean, you see people like Beyonce with her own label and Janet Jackson with her own label. And then you've got people who've always done their own thing like Jimmy Buffett or Dave Matthews who just build their own lane. So I think it's possible. But like you said, you have to give up the desire of being mainstream and really focus on being your own artist and build and and be an entrepreneur you know not just industry but you have to really be an entrepreneur and get your hustle on and it's even like i'm glad you mentioned them having their own labels and stuff but even like the industry is a it's an it's a functioning machine right Mm -hmm. so even with their own labels and i'm using air quotes with that because there's like their name might be on it, but is it really, you know what I mean? So it's still almost like if, if Beyonce decided tomorrow that she wanted to stop, like even with the album she just dropped, like she never wants to do anything quote urban pop anymore. Cause that's where they have her now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that would fare well for her. You know what I mean? Like I don't see them being like the industry or just, in general, the entertainment world being like, okay, Beyonce, we like this. We're going to go with this. Well, I think what no. I'm trying to say is that people have more options now. They before, do have more options. Before they used to just do, this was the lane you had to take. But with social media and technology and the fact that you have access to 7 billion people on the planet. I mean, like I was reading something and the Pointer Sisters have a 
residency in Singapore. They've been there for years. Oh, that's so, cute. You know, and I have a girlfriend who sings jazz. Her biggest, she goes to Thailand twice a year for months at a time. And that's where her audience is. So we, yeah. so we all have the opportunity. I remember Kimora Lee Simmons said, go where you are loved. Yeah, that's true. And the fact is that once we let go of what we think it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and we go where we're loved, like I keep saying, there's 7 billion people on the planet. There might not be 100,000 people in Nashville, but I guarantee you there's somewhere in Australia where they're kicking up some country music <laughs> with a little That's gospel true. in it. So, yeah, you're right about that. That's 100% correct. So there's, yeah. a, there's a shedding and an unlearning that has to happen in us mm-hmm. because we do deal with so much. Yeah. And it's easy to get caught in that frustration and not see the other possibilities that are out there. So yeah. being that you're in on the industry side now, what has it taught mm-hmm. you as an artist? You know, have you learned tighten things up over here or? Oh my gosh, I have learned that I was not doing what I needed to do. <laughs> like that, like there's so many loopholes and so many T's and T's that have to be crossed and I's that have to be dotted and that mm-hmm. I don't, I, and that's half of the reason why I'm so trying to figure this like lane out to, help artists because I know they don't know this stuff. I know they don't know it. Just like little stuff about like having all of your performance rights organization things in order and, and knowing, you know, that you need a publishing company, but that doesn't mean you have to go start a whole business. You can literally just go and register and put your name and that can make you a publishing company, but you need that. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that, that most artists don't know. And they're just out here making music, making music, making music, making music and wasting money. And it's like, these things have to be done. This is a business. It is a business first. Take care of your business and you will never be in the position where you feel like you get, I mean, I'm not gonna say you're never gonna be in the position, but you're not gonna be so easily taken advantage of. We don't, I'm gonna say this as artists and as sometimes just people in general, don't like to do like that unfun side of work. Like you, people don't remember that you're you're an artist, but yes, you're a small business owner. Like this is your business. So get your tech stuff in order. Get your, uh, you don't know how many songs I go through every day, people sending in songs for us to process. And there's like unknown writer on there. I'm like, you were in the studio. How is this unknown? Like who was there? <laughs> little stuff like that. Or just having like the right address on stuff, like little stuff like that. And, and knowing how to set yourself up that you can make money on your music in other ways. Cause all we think about is we just want streams. We just want, but guess what? People need commercials written. People need background music for their podcast. People need all this other type of stuff. But we're so focused on like one thing. We just want to be, we want a million followers on Instagram, even though it might not make us any money. Like we want the fame and the notoriety. But how do you get to the point where you're actually running a profitable business? And that's and you're key. not killing yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So let's. So there was a a thing that happened. I don't know if you heard about it, where Khalees had a moment yeah. because her mm-hmm. song was sampled without right. her knowing. She went to a. I mean, tech. So just for people listening, she went to the whole thing of she knows it's not her music because somebody else owns it, 
-hmm. but she would at least have liked the courtesy to know that it was going to happen. Right. So that the wrong idea of a collaboration was not put out there. That's not what happened. What happened was mm -hmm. this. So not to get into their challenge, but the yeah. fact that this is commonplace in the industry, mm -hmm. common, common, more than people could ever imagine. Way more common. Yeah. So let's talk about that piece of publishing and why it matters and how people should or how do you think the idea of publishing should happen for artists? What should they know? Well, the first thing they should know is to, as much as they can possibly do, do not sign your masters away. Never sign away your ownership. That's the first thing they're going to go for. Because eventually, 20 years down the line, like what happened with police, somebody's going to want to use this to sample it, and we're going to make money off of it, whether you like it or not. That's the first thing. The second thing is to know that you cannot, sometimes you cannot get into rooms unless you agree to certain terms. And, and with publishing, I mean, like you can't get into, you can't get into a room where you're with a writer who's actually going to get a song recorded by an artist who's gonna put you on, if that makes sense. So like sometimes, and I think this is what, kind of what Khalees was in her rant referring to, the fact that Pharrell owns that song, she doesn't. Well, at the time, she probably wasn't a, a, an artist when she signed with him who had a name big enough to say, I'm, you can't have my rights. Now, I've so, heard of situations. Go ahead. Hold on. Let, let me say this really quickly. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Go, go ahead. <laughs> what I have seen happen, and this is just from a standpoint of being a writer and, and knowing other writers who get put on songs, what will happen is in order to get your name out there, in order to get to a place where you're actually writing for bigger artists, you kind of have to say, all right, even though I know you didn't put a, a period on a sentence or a comma anywhere, I'm going to allow you to get part of this writing credit because I need this to help my catalog get stronger. So mm -hmm. in five years, I won't need you to come in and say, you know what I mean? Right. So there's that part. You you got to know how to finesse the system, right? And the problem is most artists are just motivated or writers are just motivated by an advance. They get an advance check and they're thinking, yes, I made it. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're going to have to pay that back. Secondly, that's technically your money that you're spending on yourself anyway. So like you're not getting anything from that. So we're so focused on temporary things that we're not looking down the line like, Play the long game, always. You never know what song is going to hit. You never know what song in 10 years somebody, Pepsi is going to want to use for a commercial and write a $30 million check. You know what I mean? So, so publishing is vital to your mm -hmm. legacy. People always talk about legacy. Your legacy. Yeah. It's vital to your future. And it's, right. your, it's actually your bread and butter. Right. Um, more so than the popularity of the song when you put it out because it's the thing that stays forever and if you exactly. if you give it away you give away everything that goes with it if you keep it mm -hmm. you get to keep everything that goes with it because exactly. you never know i mean steven spielberg might call and say we'd like to send a movie and if mm -hmm. you don't you don't own it you don't get a dime of 
anything that happens with Steven Spielberg. So not a dime. And you can complain and you can get online and rant all you want to. <laughs> but it is not yours. It and is so not you can't, yours. even if you sang on it, that's great. You helped make them some money. Good job. But like you said, <laughs> you have to think of this as a business and not popularity. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's all it is. It's it's a numbers game. So with you knowing all of this now, <laughs> you really yeah. have gotten a master class in what not to do in music. How do you stay focused on your vision and the future of your music? That is a good question. I actually just, um, I'm starting a new project. I actually just met with a, my coach on it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think my, my desires have changed because I see and know more about the industry. It's made me go, you know what, maybe I, I didn't want what I think I thought I wanted. And so I found that it's really important for me to set my own standard for success. I try not to definitely don't try to compare myself to anybody else and not, not even as just a musician, but just as where people are in life because that'll mess you up. So I say, what do, what, do, what music do I want to hear? What music do I need to get out? That's what I'm going to create. And I also don't look at my music as my bread and butter anymore. So that kind of moves the needle as far as what I'm going to put out now, because I'm not trying to make a song that I know radio will play or that I know will get streams. I'm, I'm making what I like and what, what I want to hear. So the success standard, like what I define as success has really changed how I've, I've moved about this now. Cause I'm, I'm too old to be out here singing every three and five nights a week. I, I, I value sleep too much. And <laughs> like, it's not being a, being a touring artist is rough on your body. And I wasn't even touring, touring. Like I just was doing like, you know, the surrounding States, but people mm-hmm. who have to go out and do this all the time, like, that's too much. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot on your body. It's a lot on your mind. It's hard on your Mm -hmm. family. Exactly. And I'm just like, that's not, that isn't my goal anymore. My goal is to make music, first of all, that speaks to who I am as a Black woman. And hopefully other people can listen to it. Not just Black women. You know, it'll be great if other people feel good about it too. But specifically, I have an experience in this body that other people don't have. And I want my music to reflect that and be able to encourage and uplift people who look like me. That's my one of my number one goals. How is your faith guiding your decision now? I want to honor God in a way that is personal and authentic to me and not what I know I'm supposed to say. Like the thing about gospel music that used to bother me so much is we we overused the same tropes over and over again. And it did not feel genuine. It didn't feel personal. And I think God is so much bigger and, and faith and spirituality is so much bigger than what we can write about. I feel like we've we've limited it in kind of a way because we we want to make sure it sounds this way and that we have these, you know, he stepped in the water, water was cold, all that kind of stuff, you know, and now it's like the, the other new CCM gospel thing that's out right now. But I'm like, what everybody should, gospel? 
I call CCM gospel that that brand of gospel music where Black people have taken CCM and made it churchy. What is CCM? Contemporary Christian, like the Maverick oh, City people okay. now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that version. I don't. I don't speak acronym well, so please forgive. Oh, me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. That that kind of gospel now. That's mm-hmm. a little bit more evolved, but I still don't feel like it. When when everything starts sounding the same, I have a problem with that. Like everybody should not have the same sound and and message. It shouldn't all be the same. I don't care if we all are like we say we're serving the same God, but we always talk about personal relationship. But as soon as somebody get personal, it's like, whoa, this is different. Like you said, it's supposed to be different. <laughs> I didn't get it. It's supposed to be personal. So why are you looking at me strange when I'm telling my personal story? So yeah. I hope I answered that. You did. It's, you know, especially if you're talking about not even religion, but if you're talking about your personal relationship, your spiritual journey, your how you involve, evolve in life and sharing that through your music, I think that that's a breath of fresh air. Because that's what I gravitate to. That's why I like, yeah. you, know, so, you know, that's why I love going to the symphony because mm. it's just pure emotion. Yeah. You know, it's just, I'm not hearing anybody's ideas i'm just hearing mm-hmm. people fully immersed in their emotion and they're expressing it and yeah. so it sounds like that's the direction that you're going into is that you want to express your life especially when you have so many ideas other people's ideas of who we are out there mm, yeah and so when you when I see the people in the mainstream, I'm like, those are other people's ideas of who mm-hmm. we are that don't look like us, don't know where we come Mm-mm. from, don't know anything about us. So their idea of who we are is what we're seeing and what we're hearing on the radio. So to have some, even the ones that say they're conscious or yeah. know, it's still the same thing, but there's another layer that needs to come off. I understand what you're saying with that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's different. Like I said, when I changed my my marker and change like why I do music. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference when you're doing something and the motive isn't to make money behind it. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying people should not make music for money. Like if that, if you want to make a living off of it, then you have to get your music to make money. But when I am making it strictly and I really don't care whether it turns a dime for me, it's going to be different because I like, I'm not going to change things because I know a certain audience won't dance to it. You know what I mean? So it's literally now being done. And I thought I was moving like that before, but I really wasn't because I had to eat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I know I have a job now and I have like stable income that it doesn't matter, like I'm literally putting my money into music and, you know, whether it makes it back or not, whatever. Like I have to do it because it's in my heart to do and And also because I don't, hear what I want to hear like I can't hear it because I need to create it so it's also that very selfish part of me that's like I'm not gonna get this until I make it myself so well um, I don't don't think it's uh, selfish as much as it's getting back to the art of everything that's what art is art is expression whether it's painting whether it's music whether it's whatever you do it's just about how can I get this expression this idea out of me and right. we all do it to a degree, whether you're in business or whether you're a creative, but that's it's what it sounds like you're getting back to is just being an artist 
Yeah. Not not a musician or an industry person, but truly an mm -hmm. artist. Which is reminds me of like when Erica Badu first came out. Mm-hmm. And that first album was just a demo. They never mastered it. They never re-recorded it. It was her demo. Right. And they put out the rawest version of that album and it, she blew up. Right. Because it connected with people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a beautiful thing. Congratulations on that yeah. decision. I know it takes a lot of courage. <laughs> Listen, I'm like, why couldn't I have come to this conclusion 10 years ago? Lord, why you know didn't let me Wait this long. Divine timing is always perfect. It, you know? it is, but child, the money I wasted. Yeah, yeah. We all yes. <laughs> Trial and error, but it's it'll be exactly what it's supposed to be. And here's the thing: now that you're older, you'll have an audience that's ready to hear what you're saying, because True. people are still going to see James Taylor. People are still going to see Stevie Nicks. Very true. You know, people are still going to see. Smokey Robinson, Diana mm -hmm. Ross. So the audience is there. You just have to you have to figure out a way to get to them. Yeah. So back, let's get back to the spiritual piece a little bit. When when you okay. get in those spaces where you are just like, oh, Lord, help me. What what's your go-to mm -hmm. verse or your go-to prayer? Mine is always Psalms 91. I would mm. read it. When I'm going through, I would read it a thousand times a day. <laughs> I don't know that I have a go-to prayer or scripture. I, because I'm a musician, I have go-to songs. Okay. My, my life scripture has always been Jeremiah 29, 11. So that helps me, which is for those who don't know, uh, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace to give you an expected end. Um, I had actually had a whole album called Expected End. Mm. So that always centers me back, especially with the, route my life has taken mm -hmm. to know that there was a plan behind all of that to get me to where I am. So now that I can, you know, just circle back to what we were just talking about, make the music that I needed to make. I needed all of that to get here. So that's always in the back of my mind, but I have uh, certain albums that I always go back to. I am a huge Sam Cooke fan. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when he was with the soul, I mean, anytime, but definitely when he was with the soul stirs and this is so random, but that song, Jesus gave me water mm. by Sam Cooke. Like, I don't know, but every time I hear it, it's just like something in my spirit. And it's like, not even like a ballad or anything, but <laughs> like, I guess I identify <laughs> with the woman at the well, kind of, mm. you know, with the water that Jesus gives. And, and despite all of the rules and, rituals or religion i know that the spirit of my lord and savior is where i get my mm -hmm. where where I, my thirst is quenched so maybe that's why that song is always um a good one for me there's a song hezekiah walker i think grateful that's that's one of my go-to's mm -hmm. because i am grateful i do know that though my life has been weird everybody's life is weird I know that I have been blessed with amazing family, friends, churches who've always like loved me and supported me. And, you know, I, I do know that I kind of live a life that most people, you know, can't even imagine because I haven't had any, like, I don't have the story of, of woe is me. Like I've lived a very good life and 
God has blessed me in so many ways, given me so many gifts and talents. And I'm keenly aware of that mm-hmm. and remain grateful every day. You've lived so. a life of grace. And that's a beautiful yeah, thing. Definitely have. <laughs> so moving forward, like I said, you have minty, minty <laughs> vantage <laughs> points of this industry. What is yeah. your hope for Black women in the music industry for the future? I definitely want to see us more in positions to make decisions regarding how we are portrayed and how we are exploited. And exploitation isn't bad all the time. Exploitation is great if the people who are being exploited are (laughs) getting something from it, you know? Mm -hmm. But like most of the time we're not. Somebody else is reaping those benefits. So I do want to definitely be in a place, get to a point where, you know, I work at a company where in the office here, I think there's four Black people. And it's weird to me because I know that that's not in, that's not an anomaly. Like most of the music companies, the ones who are writing the check, the people who are making the money look like me, but the people who are writing the checks do not. And that is a problem that I don't know how we fix that problem. But I will say my company, specific, I, I'm not going to say who it is, but I do know that they, like, I've, I'm seeing them take initiatives and we're having conversations with leadership and with, you know, HR and people about who we're hiring. Like, y'all, we have to make conscious efforts to, when there's internships, you can't just go to Belmont. Mm-hmm. TSU needs to be there. Fisk needs to be there. Like MTSU mm-hmm. needs to be there. Like, yes, we know all of y'all graduated from this one school, but there's other schools in this city mm-hmm. and other people need to be here. And I, I've started to see changes there, even though I've only been there a short amount of time, but mm-hmm. you know, upper level management is really making efforts to do, do something different and to hire specifically go out of their way to hire black people. And I don't think that's wrong because, you know, upper management sometimes goes out of their way to hire their cousins. So it's fine. You know, <laughs> like you'll be okay. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's how it works. Like you have to have somebody who's willing to say, we are going to actively recruit black women or black people in general. And that's, that's what allyship is supposed to look like. It's yeah. like take your privilege and use it to create a path for the people who haven't had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You don't have to be down. You don't have to be woke. Just, hey, open that door and say, come on in and exactly. show me what I need to do and let me do it. Because clearly I have the genius because you're making you're making that $300,000 salary off of my gift. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. how about you have my cousin make the $300,000? <laughs> And make some decisions that could could really repair some of these inequities within the music industry. And it it has to happen because at the end of the day, people are going independent and they're not even looking at the industry anymore. So they're really industry is really struggling to keep making the money that they used to make. I mean, the industry used to make so much money. Hand over fist. Yeah. (laughs) Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. And it's not happening more, especially with streaming. So mm-hmm. I am 
like we're at the end of the hour and I want to honor your time. And I just want to ask you one last question before okay. we get into the exit is with all of the decisions that you're making for mm -hmm. your future, what part of that is going to be forging a path for people to come behind you, other black women? Well, I hope that I'm, well, not hope, I am actively figuring out ways for me to get into a position on the industry side that I can be one of those people who are actively saying, nope, we're hiring a black person for this, or we're hiring a black woman for this, or we're going to PSU to get this. So that comes first. Secondly, I, I still haven't figured this out. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I do want to get some kind of platform to consult specifically with artists and writers about like I was the things I was talking about before about how to set yourself up about how to if you want a record deal how you need to go in like what you need to have if you want to be independent how to do it so that we're working smarter and not harder mm -hmm. to get nothing and then I've always had a I don't know how much Misha told you about me but I've always had a heart for mentorship I actually used to have a nonprofit organization for teenage girls when I lived oh, in Georgia. Wow. Yeah. So I'm always like making myself available to not necessarily people who are younger than me, but people who are on the same path. I'm, I've never been a person that's been like, once I find something out, I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm mm -hmm. trying to tell people like, here, come here, <laughs> let me tell you. Cause I don't want to be able to do myself. Right. <laughs> I do not mean being the only one in the room. That is not fun for me. I want you over here. Come, let me share. Right. Let me put you on. It is we uncomfortable. Do, we, we do have those folks that like to be the only one in the room. No. It's I want like, as many of us as possible. Because we can't have a picnic with one person, right? No. <laughs> well, that, that is... <laughs> That is a beautiful idea. Maybe you can go to one of your universities and set up a program. Yeah. Or you know, maybe it may be a summer intensive for people who mm -hmm. want to be in the industry so that you can start that process going. I always tell yeah. people, hook up with your academic side because they got the money and they got they the do. people. <laughs> Belmont definitely has the money. Oh, Ooh, my Lord. God. I'm telling you, it was. we would watch the, the choir was like, boy, they're fancy. They've got matching dresses on. <laughs> oh, let me tell you when the first time I did, how many times have I done Christmas at Belmont? I think I only did it once. But when I tell you I was in awe, because I had never, I had never sung like choral music before. It was just church. I, had, I hated church choirs. I mean, like school choirs. I never wanted to do them. And then when I got there, I had to do it. But man, I had so much fun up there singing my opera and stuff. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we did the little hand. We did the little hand motions and everything. Right. We had on our pearls. Yeah, <laughs> I remember in the in the mm -hmm. dresses that came past your knees and the yes. simple shoes and the. I was like, boy, they're real fancy. <laughs> I loved it. I had made my mom and dad, um, everybody watch it because you know they they aired on PBS, and so I taught. I had them record it, and when I came home, like. Three months later, after Christmas had already passed, I was like, that's me back there in the back. Because <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of us there. So they knew it was me. I was like, yeah, thank you. I was like, yep, thank you. <laughs> I'll, tell that, I'll tell my aunt, you know that black girl we saw in the back? I just talked to her. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was me, baby. 
<laughs> that was me. Oh my God, this has been such a pleasure. Yes, thank you so much. It has been, I mean, your diverse background, and I know you're going to do great things with that because not only do you have the knowledge, but you got the passion for it. Yeah. And the fact that you still have the passion after seeing all that you have seen lets me know that you're going to do great things with this information. So how can people, speaking of building a platform, how can people find Mm -hmm. you or reach you? Because you're not really all over the internet. (laughs) Yeah, I took a break because I feel like the only reason I needed is for my artist stuff. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't putting any music out. So I just like, I I like to lurk. But (laughs) yeah, I like discontinued my website and everything. I was like, why am I paying for this? I'm putting music out. I guess if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at Alicia LaRobin. I will, this will be necessary when I do put my music out at the end of the year. So I guess, yeah, that's the best place right now. How do you spell um, that? That's A-L-A-B-I-A and then LaRobin, L-A-R-O-B-I-N, like the bird. All right. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. When you put your music out, when you start your consulting business, when you do your advocacy, yes, social media is a great place for people to find you. (laughs) Yeah. When you said it, it sounded like it sounded like so much when you said it. I was like, oh child, that's oh, somebody gonna be working. Well, you know, where two or more are gathered. (laughs) We're putting we're putting it out. We're putting out in the universe. We're just putting it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I want to receive it. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. And I look forward to speaking with you again at any time. Thank Uh, you so much. I always have an open invitation here. And uh, it was a true pleasure. And I will talk to you offline. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining.